So today, this is Chrissy Long with Blissful Birthing, and we have B. Laura. Is that how you pronounce your surname? Laher. Laher. We have B. Laher here today from California. Uh, B. has two daughters. They're practically grown up already, and she's my age. So she started very young. Oh, is the connection bad? Is it coming and going? Um, yeah, so she has two daughters and she's even got a granddaughter, which is amazing because she's so young and super beautiful and for the viewers that can't see her, amazing woman. Um, so B has basically been exposed to the birthing world for many, many years. It was 22 years ago in 1998 that she saw her first birth and that changed everything for her. She was so inspired by that event that she became a doula and a midwife and a birth educator and just a supporter of women in general. So for the past 19 years she's been doing that professionally and specializes mainly in home births or birth center, home from home type births. Um, B is a huge advocate in um, women having choice with regards to their birth. Um, and believes it's a truly sacred transition and she loves to be there to support the women and the babies and she supported hundreds of women and babies now having worked in all kinds of places so not just California and the Napa Valley but also in Mexico, Guatemala, Indonesia and Uganda with traditional birth attendants as well which really expanded her repertoire of natural birth um, and that whole world way beyond what any classroom could have taught her. So I hope that can give our audience today an idea of where Bee's coming from and her background and how awesome that is. Um, she also has the goal of um, getting um, a Birth Access Coalition off the ground, which is a nonprofit organization. Is that right, Bee? Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Yeah, Birth Access Coalition is a nonprofit organization that is working to raise funds to provide access to midwifery for um, black and indigenous people of color. So access mm -hmm. to midwifery care because the disparities in black and indigenous women in birth are pretty radical um, yeah. and need access to midwifery and it's expensive and insurance doesn't cover it. And um, so we're trying to provide more access to midwifery care for those birthing people and then also providing access and funding to midwifery education so that we can have more black and indigenous midwives. That's wonderful. What a fantastic quest. And I asked you also what your epiphany moment was in your life. And you said it was being in Uganda, seeing so many babies being born naturally, and then just kind of realizing that it didn't have to be so complicated, yeah. right? You want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I went to Uganda in 2009. So I have been doing birth um, for quite a while already. But at that point, Mostly I had been a doula and had been to a lot of hospital births. So I really, really got um, doing home births like around 2003. And so when I went to Africa, you know, I, I mean, we just did birth after birth after birth. And one of the major things that I was just so thrilled to see was that never once did one of those women ask for pain medicine. Wow. And so there was no pain medicine. We were mostly in rural villages and um, birthing clinics. And so while there were lots of complications for other reasons, like malaria, malnutrition, um, multigravita women, mm -hmm. we were seeing still birth just happen. There rarely was 34 and 48 hour labors, right? Women went into labor, they moved swiftly through their labor, they pushed their babies out and it just worked. And mm -hmm. you know, where, we didn't have lights. There was no electricity in the village, so we had flashlights. Wow. And thinking, this is great. There's no big overheads. There's no big shiny yeah. lights. Nobody <laughs> coming out. You know, the women were really pretty undisturbed. Um, Fantastic. And, what on average was their average birth time? Oh, you know, eight to about eight hours, probably. Now, granted, most of these women, like wow. I said, were multigravitous, so they had had multiple babies. We weren't yeah. dealing too many first-time moms, and I don't have all the statistics from it, but no. pretty, pretty swift overall. Yeah. I think also they didn't come into the clinic 
you know, at their first contraction, they came when they were in good active labor and they were ready for support. Absolutely. Wow. See, so it can be different when people say, well, how come for mammals it's so easy, but for humans it's so hard? I guess it depends what kind of human you're talking about and uh, how you approach it, right? Oh, so yeah, on that note, talking about, you know, how simple and straightforward a natural birth can be, I really would like to touch today about the topic of the hormonal cocktail of birth Um, because I think it's an area that so many pregnant women and even mums that have had you know babies before don't really know a whole lot about because we're so um, I don't know we're such a unnatural birthing environment most of the time if we're in a hospital setting or we've got lots of birth attendants around us stressing us out or we're subjected to taking lots of different drugs um, that can also disturb the hormonal cocktail of birth. So I think it's really, really quite revolutionary, this topic. And I just wanted to do a little bit of an intro on what my understanding of them were from having spoken to B and other midwives in the past. So if I understand correctly, no one really 100% knows what starts the whole birthing process. Often there are rumors that the baby releases a hormone or... Uh, the mum does, but either way, um, there seem to be five kind of predominant hormones that kick off from relaxin that softens the pelvis and the cartilages and all that soft tissue. Um, and there's three movable parts that the relaxin, you know, can manipulate the pelvis. It's not a rigid bone like we're made to believe when we may be inexperienced first time mums or second time mums. It's a, a very dynamic. Um, area of the pelvis with the sacroiliac joint, the symphysis pubis and the coccyx. Am I right? That's correct. Um, so yeah, it's not stationary. When, when women are told, oh, your hips might be too narrow or the baby's too big, mother nature has a way of making sure that everything can open up beautifully. Um, unless of course you have some bone disease like scurvy or something, but you know, it's unlikely um, in the, the Western world anyway. Um, then there's also the hormone of love, oxytocin, which helps to contract the uterus and does a whole host of other beautiful things like avoids us, you know, can stop hemorrhaging after we've had the baby and helps with bonding and milk supply and all that kind of thing. And there's also estrogen, um, prostaglandins that soften the cervix and can ripen it and reduce progesterone, which is important during labor. And then the most amazing things, I think, are the beta endorphins, which are like the natural pain relievers. Um, And they also reduce your fear and your stress levels and up your relaxation. So I hope I've understood that roughly correctly. But why be, are these birthing hormones so vital? Why is their interplay and their synchronicity so key? Yeah, well, they all certainly work together. Um... You know, relaxin is kind of starting in your pregnancy. So relaxin and and prolactin is another hormone. And those are kind of building all the way through. And of course, estrogen and progesterone are are more hormones of pregnancy and less about the birth. But you're absolutely right. We need estrogen to stop dropping so that the prostaglandin can work on the cervix. Um, Relaxin and prolactin are slowly building all the way through the, the pregnancy, getting stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And those are, like you said, softening all of the connective tissue, opening cartilage, letting the round ligaments really stretch. Mm-hmm. Prolactin, um, prolactin is one that they don't really study that much, but we have been knowing, we've been learning that it really peaks at the very onset of natural labor. So mm-hmm. women who aren't going into neighbor, labor naturally and who are being induced don't have the same levels of prolactin. And prolactin... Um, we think, right? You, like you said, no one really knows, but, but what the studies are showing is that prolactin does work with oxytocin to kind of get the labor started, right? At the peak of that natural labor, those are the hormones that are flooding the body. Okay. Um, and the prolactin is going to peak at the onset of labor and then continue to really flood the mom all the way through and is primarily um, breastfeeding. Right. Um, so, so that's going to be what really is, initiates the breastfeeding, the milk supply, letdown, etc. Mm-hmm. 
And then oxytocin, I mean, that's like the hormone of love. It's the best hormone that we have in our body. It's responsible for fertility, for orgasm, for just the overall feeling of well-being and love with your partner, with your kids, with yourself. Mm -hmm. And then obviously is the major hormone that is going to control and initiate labor. So it yeah. definitely is responsible for bringing on those strong, powerful contractions. Um, and without it, we'll just see labors kind of putts out. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, so, you know, oxytocin, it has to be abundant. And what we know makes oxytocin abundant is the endorphins. Right. And you know, so we have to have this like really beautiful balance of endorphins to be able to have high levels of oxytocin so that we have good, powerful contractions, that we have straightforward labor, that we've got the power to push our babies out, that we are able to bond and connect with our babies right after birth and then moving into the postpartum, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, we've got the two nervous systems that kind of control the endorphins and the adrenaline. So adrenaline is another really important hormone in labor and we want it to mostly stay low, but there's a couple little times when that spike of adrenaline is what gives us the power to push, the power to change positions rapidly if we need to. Mm -hmm. We've got the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is what controls that endorphins. And what we need to stay in that realm is to be comfortable, to be safe, to feel supported, to feel loved, to not have drugs on board, to not have, you know, outside interventions. Um, when we've got those good endorphins, we've got, we see increased contraction patterns, stronger contractions, more efficient labor, decreased mm -hmm. feelings of fear, de decreased feelings of pain. Um, and we get to that euphoric state that you hear about, you know, this kind of labor land where moms are, really almost in an altered state of being they're not talking they're not using their primal you know their their front brain they're not thinking and speaking and articulating their feelings they're really staying inside focused yes. they're doing the work right yeah. and then the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight this is where um the adrenaline spikes that's not good for us it's when we get told that our bodies aren't working right or that there's something wrong with us, that we're not doing things fast enough or being introduced yeah. to multiple people in a hospital setting where there's new people coming in and out of the door. Every time somebody new enters that birth space, it kind of wakes the woman up. It takes her out of that parasympathetic nervous system, spikes her adrenaline. She has to open her eyes, become aware of her surroundings, check in with herself. Is it safe? And this is that like mammalian part of birth that you're talking about, right? This is why mammals can just stop labor if there's a forest fire or if they feel threatened or in danger, their, their fight or flight is so strong that they're able to completely shut down their labor from progressing. And women do that too. You know, what happens is all of the blood, when we go into that fight or flight, all of our blood and energy go into our arms and legs and away from the uterus, away from our heart, away from our brain so that we can run. And that is stressful for the baby. It's stressful for the mom. And when a mom is on continual fetal monitoring, you're going to see that. You're going to see her blood pressure go up, her pulse go up, the baby's heartbeat down. And then that, you know, is a trigger to hospital care providers that there's a problem, there's an emergency. And then we whisk them away for a cesarean. Right. But the problem actually isn't that her body's failing her. Her body's doing exactly what it should be doing, right? It's trying to get away from danger. Exactly. It's doing a fantastic job. But um, the rational mind, yeah, it can't undo that she feels endangered um, at that stage, right? Because you're just behaving like a mammal. So there's no way of cognitively talking yourself out of that. You have to feel safe. Yes. So really, it's the system that needs to change. Um, from my experience and everything I've heard. And if instead the medical community just stopped the beeping machines and stopped the monitoring and just provided a calm environment where the mum could get on with it, then it wouldn't happen, would it? Her body wouldn't be reacting like that. Yeah, it's really, really hard to have a natural birth in a hospital setting. 
it is. I mean, I <laughs> I read an Ina May Gaskin's book and I thought it was so funny about just even sphincter law, you know, just how our cervix really can't open probably um, if we're feeling stressed. Very much like if you were trying to pass a stool in front of complete strangers with bright lights, right? <laughs> um, lying down. And I thought, yeah, of course, you couldn't even do that. So how are we supposed to have a baby? We couldn't even pass a stool. It's far more intimate and something we don't do every day. Right. Well, it's like having sex. It's the same hormones, yeah. you know, like it doesn't work in a room full of people with <laughs> bright lights and monitoring yeah. everything, you know. Of course, in the porno movies it does, but not in real, <laughs> not in real life. <laughs> that male area yeah for women it doesn't really do it for us um yeah and then not only can we not birth our babies well or fail to progress as they say um having that lack of oxytocin i've also read and studied, seen so many times can cause so many other problems like postnatal depression bonding problems with the baby the milk production not being you know how it should be flowing and even like hemorrhaging potentially right if you're not getting enough oxytocin to contract the uterus down well absolutely because that's that when a mom is in the fight or flight you know response and you know her body stopped producing oxytocin stopped producing endorphins so now we give her pitocin synthetic oxytocin to make mm -hmm. her hormones come back up we've wiped out the natural slate of hormones then we give her an epidural, which wipes out all of the endorphins. So she ends up birthing her baby without feeling, without having um, a biofeedback response. She doesn't feel when to push, when to not push, when to slow down, when to breathe. And, and so that then can cause a host of problems as well, right? With tearing and pelvic floor problems because you're just Absolutely. pushing when you shouldn't. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. But that's like a whole other host of issues. It is a whole other host because that's part of it too. I mean, the oxytocin is also with the relaxing, softening the pelvic floor and the biofeedback me mechanism is so critical, right? When a mom is pushing naturally, and I'll circle back around to the complications of postpartum mm. with, the, with, with the lack of natural hormones, but when the mom is pushing spontaneously with her own hormones, she feels when her body has stretched to capacity and she slows down. She takes a deep breath. The baby pulls back a little bit. She gets to, you know, recuperate before the next contraction comes. With that yeah. synthetic it's just contraction, contraction, contraction. They're managing your pushing. They're making you hold your breath to the count of 10, three times through every contraction. And the skin and the tissue and the pelvic floor never get to rebound. They don't get the blood flow back in. And that does cause major, major damage. And then, of course, we have vacuum extraction and forceps because it's just hard to get babies yeah. out without your natural, natural flow. Um, and the pain that was higher too, right? It's much more brutal, isn't it? The, the false oxytocin. I've had the, the contractions are so much stronger Pertosin. and longer. Yeah, yeah. the pitocin, of course. Mm -hmm. Because it's they cool. just keep turning it up, turning it up, turning it up. You know, they want the baby to get out and... And we know that in the course of a natural labor, it's really common to be contracting every two minutes, every two minutes, and then get to complete. And then there's often a pause, you know, the rest and be grateful um, phase. It's, it's like you get this little break and contractions actually will spread apart a little bit as you start to get the flow of pushing. Yeah. So when babies are born in that state that we were just talking about with the synthetic Pitocin and an epidural, they're born a little bit shocky. And the mom's a little bit shocky and the baby gets whisked away and gets wiped off and gets taken to the warmer. And the mom doesn't get to have the baby right on her skin. She doesn't get that immediate skin to skin. And mm -hmm. typically at that point, the doctors will flood her now with that synthetic Pitocin because her uterus is not going to do its job. It's supposed to continue to contract so that the placenta can be born, so that the bleeding can cease. Yeah. So definitely that's, that's a major um, concern for those kind of drug induced, you know, births mm -hmm. or that there is an increased risk of hemorrhage, tearing. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, so many of them like, oh, thank God I was in hospital because I hemorrhaged and they were there to save me. But they don't see that it actually caused the problem. Absolutely. Um, and I could have started off with that, that, you know, we live 
in such a fear-based birthing culture that the majority of women who are pregnant, you know, they're already, they're already afraid. They're going into it scared right off the get. And they don't trust their body and they don't trust the process and they rely on the medical model of care to tell them, you know, what to do and how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, I just wanted to say a little story about something that happened to myself because of a friend of mine, she reminded me with her daughter, um, just talk about the bonding issue after you've given birth as well. So I have been fortunate enough, thank goodness, to have all my babies naturally and most of them at home and the hormones flowing naturally, blah, blah, blah. But um, when I spoke to my friend who said she had some issues bonding with her third baby, even though that was home birth too, because of what a midwife said, like a, a trainee midwife, and she didn't mean to say it, but she just scared my friend, which obviously spiked her adrenaline because she said something about maybe the placenta being retained or something not being quite there. So it completely spun my friend out and made that golden hour with her baby a stressful one. Um, and she said to me, it took me till she was about six weeks to feel that overwhelming feeling of love that I had with the others, which was really strange to me because, you know, the others had been boys and she'd longed for this daughter and she just knew something was off and she kept thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I had the same thing with my second and my third. Um, because in that third stage of labor, which to the listeners out there is, is the stage when your baby has been born and you're waiting for your placenta, or it might even have, you know, recently happened and just trying to bond with your baby. Um, I had the same thing. The midwives like tried to take my baby away from me. Um, take all the vernix off. They were stressing that my placenta hadn't come. They were tugging at my placenta and sort of saying that we'd have to go to hospital if it didn't come soon. And without knowing it at the time, it really affected my bond with my son, actually with two of them, because I didn't have that oxytocin flowing. I felt really threatened. Um, and that just goes to show how sensitive it is, right? Because I was still in my home. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'd done everything as naturally as I could, but this kind of rude interruption meant I didn't have that just overwhelming feeling of adoration and love that I had with my first. And I think once you felt that, you can feel the lack of it even more. The presence is, that, you know, you know it's something's missing. Um, and it took, yeah, I think it took quite a few weeks for it to come where I just had that moment as well. I was like, oh my God, I'm absolutely besotted with my baby. So, yeah, have you got experience with that or is it just the two of us that kind of? No, I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, I kind of had this a similar with my second baby. I ended up having to go to the hospital, actually. And oh. I birthed her naturally still. And I was planning a home birth and I was a little too early to birth at home um, based on California laws. And I went through my whole labor so upset so angry and just like in a constant fight or flight I don't know how I ended up pushing her out um, because it was very stressful and I feel like it affected my bonding still for years she's almost 17 and you know I, I don't feel like I've ever connected with her quite the same as I did my first daughter that I just pushed into my arms lovingly in the birth tub you know surrounded by quiet midwives and mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that for sure. And and it's absolutely true. I mean, even in home birth, you know, we see that if there's an interruption in that, like you said, the third stage or the immediate postpartum, um, it can really affect a mom's ability to connect with her baby, to feel blissful, to feel that overwhelming love. And, and that can trickle on into, you know, even up into the six months postpartum, that's the postpartum blues that we see is often a, something that happened in the labor or the birth. And like you said, it can just be something as simple as, you know, a sentence that somebody dropped on you or rushing you, oh, we might have to go to the hospital if you don't hurry up or if this doesn't change. That really takes you out of that parasympathetic endorphin realm and puts you into that fight or flight. Right. So even midwives, it's really important we try. I mean, I try and, and the practice that I work in to just be quiet mostly, you know, to use as mm -hmm. little verbal communication as possible in that first hour, first two hours. 
um, not rushing the placenta. If everybody is safe and their vitals are fine, there's no need to rush. And just right. letting the mom really explore her baby um, yeah. by herself. And, you know, for us, for the midwives that I work with, we really like the mom to lift her own baby up to her. We find mm -hmm. that that in itself is a really big part of it, you know, not doing that job. She just grew that baby. She pushed that baby out. And it's certainly not my job to blurt out the sex of the baby or to handle, you know, he or she and, um, and okay. give the mom her baby. She should reach down and, you know, mm -hmm. bring that. That's so lovely that you honor that. That's really important for women, you know, when mommy, mommy needs to be to protect that and to talk that through with their midwives, that that's what they want, you know, that they'd like to be the first to hold a baby and find out the sex of the baby. And that's always something that's really annoyed me actually when, um, especially OBGYNs and things say, I've delivered so many babies. It's like, how dare you take that power away from the birthing mom? Like she delivered her baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just quite disempowering phrase, isn't it? I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's beautiful that you honor that. And I think that's, definitely should be something that's taught to more it's, and more you know it shifts their experience for sure I mean most of our you know moms that are in their postpartum period are just pretty ecstatic that they got to be so empowered that they had control over their body they had control over their baby informed decision making you know we're not telling them what to do they get to be in whatever position they want they get to move freely eat freely drink freely um, be with their do you check how dilated she is or do you leave typically, it? Typically not. You know, if things are just seem like they're moving forward and we can tell that things are shifting and escalating by the way she moves, by the way she is breathing, by the way she's focusing, then we don't. Sometimes if it feels like, you know, if it feels like it's been multiple hours and we're not seeing that energetic shift, then that would be a time where we might offer a vaginal exam. And mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes the baby can be in a little bit of a funny position or not have its chin tucked or there could be a little rigid rim of cervix that we can give some homeopathics or some herbs to help. So, so mm -hmm. not always. And, you know, sometimes it's necessary, but we definitely don't routinely check women on a regular schedule, right? Yeah. Like Friedman's curve is that kind of hospital standard that of you know, a primep should, you know, dilate one centimeter every two to three hours or something like that. We don't believe that. <laughs> Computer, yeah. Brilliant. And it's nice that you said, you know, you ask, you offer. You don't say, we have to do this now. This is our protocol. Um, it's a completely different approach. Yeah, a woman could decline that anytime, a yeah. hundred times over, and we're very respectful of that. That's wonderful. Like I have to say, I think my favorite birth where I felt truly, truly empowered was my third because I had a midwife there as a backup and she had two student midwives with her. This was in Spain. They'd never seen a home birth. And I've been really clear on, I want you here, but I don't really want you here. here. Like be in the background quietly. If there's a problem, that's why you're here. But if there isn't, just be quiet and leave me alone type thing. And she was so respectful of it. She never once checked me. She didn't even like do a heart monitor it, nothing. She just sat there. And um, after I had Jesse, who was born asleep, that's how peaceful it was. He didn't even open his eyes. <laughs> he just had his milk and all that. Um, I had a friend there who, she was only 15, but she was wondering whether she should become a midwife. So she wanted to hold the baby and I let her, but it was really interesting because that's the only time a midwife intervened and she said, I'm sorry, no. This is the golden hour for the mum and the baby. Please give the baby back. Yeah, absolutely. I was so grateful that she did it because I was only people-pleasing and I didn't know how to say to Emily, who was, you know, the 15-year-old, actually, no, I want to hold him because I didn't want to come across as rude. But all my instincts were like saying, no, that's my baby. I want my baby. So she ushered everyone out apart from my husband and just said, no, I'm sorry, we have to honour this, this special time for mummy and baby. And... I'm so, so grateful because I think she saved our bond. I really do. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think it's important. We usually will see dads kind of pick up the phone right away and want to start texting. And we're like, no, 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 <laughs> we need to just be, be in this space, be in this moment. You know, we don't mm -hmm. cut the umbilical cord for two hours. We leave the baby connected to placenta and everybody just really well tucked together. And, and usually don't even come in and start, you know, looking at the baby or checking mom out for at least two hours. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so, so beautiful. Thank God for people like you. Oh, um, <laughs> it's so important to honor all those. It seems like little inconsequential things, but it's huge, huge stuff at the time and forever. Um, I also just wanted to talk briefly about um, this article I read about chimpanzee babies that were born by C-section. Um, I don't know why, maybe as an experiment by human beings, because I know we're obviously very, very close in our behavioral tendencies to chimpanzees. Um, and it was quite shocking that the mothers of these babies completely neglected them and they actually died as a result. Mm -hmm. um, and the article was kind of, well, it was saying it was because they didn't have the natural cascade of hormones and that, that whole beautiful synergistic relationship that we've been talking about happening. Um, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, it's interesting. I, I haven't read that article and I did see it in your notes and I didn't have a chance to look at it, but I've seen it on the farm. Mm -hmm. We had a sheep that was pregnant and um, she was getting sick. And I don't actually recall exactly what the deal was, but we ended up taking her to UC Davis, a big hospital here, and she had a C-section. And she would never, she never wanted to even look at those kids. She would just headbutt them and, you know, wanted nothing to do with them. And, you know, as I was watching it kind of unfold, my, my thoughts were, well, these mammals have no idea what it means to be medicated and to yeah. be, you know, put into this surgery and then to come out of surgery, very groggy, medicated, drugged, pain meds. Um, so I think that that, you know, my perspective of that situation was that she was scared. She was like, mm -hmm. I don't know what just happened to me. And, and then she didn't recognize those babies because yeah, she didn't get to clean them, to eat their placentas, to, you know, do the instinctual parts of mammalian birth. Um, right. So it makes sense, you know, it makes sense to me. And then on the flip side though, right, we have like, um, surrogate, parents who bond and deeply love their babies yeah you know so that's um, true yeah maybe they weren't traumatized that's the, maybe yeah. it's more the trauma rather than the lack of something yeah being, yeah and I I also, sorry just that they're just so instinctual I think a lot of our instincts have been taken away with movies and books and mm -hmm podcasts and you know it's like we're so inundated with all of this filtered information and the mammals just don't have any idea what's happening so I, I imagine that they're quite scared when that kind of scenario happens not that us human moms are not scared when we have a c-section but yeah at least we're going in a bit more cognitively yeah um and yeah and then I also read that these little rat babies again human interfering to see what would happen they they washed the rat babies or cleaned them so they didn't have the um, scent of the amniotic fluid on them from the mum. and again same story there was a huge maternal neglect because she didn't recognize as her own baby Absolutely. Um, so i mean that's just pheromones which you think really like do those hormones even count because i don't think we cognitively even realize that we smell our babies um although saying that Everyone loves a newborn baby smell, don't they? They all want to smell the head of a baby. <laughs> it's a big deal. And, you know, in the last 10 years, it's gotten better in America, in the hospitals at least, where we're not whisking babies off to scrub them down with the antibacterial soap anymore. Um, but we still, they still are, you know, they still wash babies. And we advocate for, for parents who birth in the hospital to make sure that they decline that and don't have their babies washed it becomes kind of an issue for the hospital staff because then they have to wear gloves and they've got blood and vernix and all this, you know, yeah. um, hazard basically on them. And so they can't touch them, but, but it is um, smelling and touching and getting to feel your baby right away are really important. And so even with moms who end up having cesareans, you know, when we 
are able to go with them um, and they have their baby via cesarean, the first blankets that they wipe the baby off with, we always keep and bring back to the mom because typically they're separated for one to two hours in the recovery period. And so giving her that blanket so that she can smell her baby and, you know, oftentimes we take pictures right away of the baby and just keep showing her the pictures while she's in recovery with the blanket so that, I mean, it's certainly not the same, but um, trying to yeah, At least save that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's really cute. And I just wanted to tell the listeners a little story. It was so funny. When our latest edition was born a year and a half ago, um, our eldest son was there and he was holding her for, you know, a lot um, after that golden hour. And he, I just kept looking at him from the corner of my noticing that he was smelling the baby and licking her. (laughs) Nine years old, I'm like, Luca, what are you doing? And he was like, I don't know. I have this huge desire to lick her. (laughs) I was like, honey, that's weird. But they have such a strong bond now. And actually, my poor husband, he didn't get a look in for like three days. It was the baby was either with me or with Luca. He wouldn't let her go. And I think she really like formed this bond with him. Um, Because yeah, they're they're so cute together even now, like inseparable. And then when I read this thing about the rat babies and the pheromones and you know, the amniotic fluid, I was like, maybe that's what it was with him. Like he also had this. This hormonal bond. So I thought that was really sweet. We we think. I mean, I think that it does work that way. We often tell dads to take off their shirt and you mm. know, when the mom's ready to get up and go to the bathroom and have her first kind of moment away from the bed to get the baby skin to skin. You know, with with yeah. the other mom or whoever her um, you know birth partner is mm-hmm. um, to to do that skin to skin bonding because equally as important for the baby as it is for the partner totally and he my son would even be like can she sleep with me tonight I'm like no honey like <laughs> I can't sleep with her. you can come in our bed but you're not taking her off on your own because he was obsessed yeah with that skin to skin and she's so beautiful I was like I know but I need to be doing that <laughs> bonding part um I know it was really cute what else did I want to talk to you about oh yeah I wanted um to talk about what I just always think everyone should be screaming from the rooftops is that high that you can get after having an undisturbed blissful birth experience because I have literally never experienced anything like it in my life I've never taken recreational drugs either so I don't know what it feels like taking cocaine or uppers or whatever but um after giving birth I have to say I feel amazing absolutely phenomenal like I could do anything and within about the first hour I'm usually making cups of tea for people feeding them singing you know really happy don't need to sleep don't need to eat and it's my husband who goes kind of quiet and almost (laughs) into some depression I think just the weight of the world he's like another mouth to feed you know but (laughs) I feel incredible and I know I'm not alone Um, I know not many people talk about it, but I have heard other women saying they've had this euphoric, incredible experience that if we could bottle, we could make a fortune selling it, right? So what is that? Can you explain a little bit what that is? Yeah, I mean, it it is oxytocin. That is what it is. I mean, women are just like vibrating. They've never had a flood of hormones that drastic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then it is the mix of oxytocin and adrenaline. So adrenaline, we talked about how it can be um, negatively impacting on, on labor and birth. But adrenaline in this situation is kind of our human will to survive, right? It just wakes us up and we are so alert and so flooded with that hormone of love that, yes, you can't sleep. You can't close your eyes. It's like your body is just humming and yeah. yeah, it's moms like you that I'm like, Chrissy, get in bed. You may not get out of bed for four days. You have to rest, <laughs> you know, you have to recover. Um, it's a really beautiful phenomenon. And, and I think that it is that human will to survive. There is a part of it that is, it's your job now to be awake, to be alert, to be aware, mm-hmm. and to have, you know, one eye open at all times as the baby is really transitioning 
to life on earth and figuring its way, figuring its way out. So it's, um, yeah, like I remember again with the first, I just wouldn't stop looking at him like a psychopath, you know, like, is he breathing? Is this happening? Is that? I was like, whoa, just go to sleep. And I couldn't, you know, it's just like, oh, he's so beautiful. He just did that move. La la la, la you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, like okay, eventually you crash, like come day four. It's like, whoa, now I'm exhausted. I was going to say day four is we do always a home visit at the first day and then at the, you know, three to four day. And it's the combination of the overwhelming now load of prolactin as your milk comes in. So usually mm -hmm. by day three or four, you've got your milk in. And we like call it like, yeah, wow. exactly. And it's like the <laughs> teariest day. It's like the day of tears. Moms are often just very emotional, tears dripping, milk dripping, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of like a big crash from such a major epic experience. And mm -hmm. and that's the day that moms usually can sink in and take a good nap. They feel like they can let grandma or dad or somebody else watch the baby yeah. hours so that they can take a shower and actually really knock off and sleep deeply. Totally. I remember with, again, with the first, it was so intense. I was just crying over him the whole day and not sad tears because, you know, my husband kept saying, you having baby blues, you sad. I'm like, no, I'm, these are happy tears, but I cannot stop. You know, I can't stop looking at every tiny little fingerprint and every taste bud on his tongue and every eyelash. We made that. You know, it's just like, this is incredible. And he was like, okay, honey, you don't have to cry about it. I'm like, well, I can't stop. So <laughs> no, you can't stop. it's a good day to take a bath, you know, Yeah. eat really nourishing food, take a bath, be with your midwife or your sister or, you know, somebody who's had a baby and can just sit with you and process. It's a great day to yeah. process birth. And you get it. But even the best, most beautiful, natural home births, there's always something, you know, that one sentence, that one little fear, that one moment where you doubted yourself or doubted mm -hmm. your midwife or your midwife doubted you that, that will kind of keep bubbling up. And um, that's really important. Yeah. Also, it's a super important time to process and to, to go over in detail all of your experience. I highly yeah. recommend that women um, write their birth story down as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really cathartic experience. And yeah, it did. It hit me on day four because um, with Luca again, I gave birth standing up, which I didn't plan on doing, but he kind of fell out <laughs> and banged his head. So oh. on day four, I was just like, I dropped my baby before I held it. I'm the worst mother in the world. And I just couldn't <laughs> let that go. You know, <laughs> my husband was like, but he's fine. I'm like, but he might not have been. And um, so, yeah, you need to do all that processing. And the other thing that happens on day four, I found suddenly all the aches come, like suddenly you're like, oh, I have a hemorrhoid or, oh, I seem to have torn or, you know. Um, endorphins start fading, you know. The yeah. Endorphins are slowly kind of dripping back to the normal state. And yes, your body definitely is very aware that you just gave birth. Yeah, it suddenly feels raw, which is a, was a surprise to me because you're like, but I gave birth four days ago. Why is it now? you know, a bit uncomfortable when I'm passing a stool because you can literally feel your organs moving back into their natural place and just yeah. things like that that you didn't feel before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so found that all really, really interesting. Um, oh, yeah, I just also wanted to touch on <laughs> whether I'm the crazy one or from having this um, incredible cocktail of hormones, for me, I feel it was a really spiritual experience, not just a physical one that was astounding but also spiritual because it made me and I'm not even religious but it made me just so much more sensitive and aware and conscious about everything like not just the baby but everything in life I started looking at animals in a different way the way we live our lives in a different way what I wanted from my lifestyle I was suddenly super sensitive and, and wanted different things that before I'd never thought about mm -hmm. you know even stupid adverts that, that I would cry you know I'd just be like oh my god that's so moving and so beautiful and my husband would look at me going who are you and I'm like I do not know like why am I so sensitive to everything well, birth <laughs> but in a nice way yeah um, yeah birth changes you you know I mean I feel the same I've been to hundreds and hundreds of births and it's so common for me to leave a birth and then have to you know, get back to regular life and stop at the grocery store on the way home. And I walk around kind of in just the day is like, 
a baby was just born. Like, do all these people get that they were born, that like babies are born and that it's so miraculous and so big and the energy is so, so intense. And, and then we just have to keep moving through life, you know, as normal, but yeah, phenomenal. Like I've just seen all this amazing stuff or felt these amazing feelings. How, how can I return to normality? Um, so yeah, I guess what's so addictive. It's just incredible. Yes. Will you have more or are you finally finished? I don't know. I would have more. <laughs> I think my husband's finished though. <laughs> oh, I think I'm just so addicted to the whole having babies and yeah, I love it. Yeah. I do love it, but I'm 42 now. So it's probably time to let someone else take over, right? Mm-hmm. And raise, raise this little handful of children I have. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, another point I was just going to allude to before we wrapped it up was as birth is so amazing and obviously such a female domain and so spiritual and just makes you access a power you never knew you had before. So it's actually quite helpful for the rest of your life from child rearing when they're having tantrums to sleep deprivation when you think, I can't do this anymore. You can always pull on that power, can't you? And be like, if I could give birth, I can do this. Like, come on, you can do it. Um, but once we've accessed that knowing and power, it really irritates me, um, for the women that haven't accessed that power, that the birth space is still so male dominated and so patriarchal and so misogynistic almost. And I really genuinely don't understand how it still can be, you know, when we know what we know about how amazing birth can be and how amazing we are as women. I get that there were witch hunts in the past, but it just seems like surely that was in the past, hundreds of years ago, and now we need to be moving into an era where we're honouring the sacred feminine. Um, do you feel that this movement is happening, or is it just the two percent of us in the world that are? I think you know, it is happening, you know, and you know, I've kind of like stood up and fought against the patriarchalness of it all, and where mm. I'm at now is what we need is access and education. That's what's lacking. Women don't know that they have options. They don't understand that there's choices. They don't know that they have the right to ask for a female obstetrician. If they feel safest in a hospital, they have the right to ask for a different care provider. Um, They have the right to hire a midwife, to have a home birth, to go to a birth center. I think that a lot of it does come down to, to access and information. There's lots of people who still think a midwife is some kind of old school, untrained witch, right? As you said. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just simply not the case. So, I mean, I think it's moving in that direction. I think that there sure is a lot of power in the world right now with, you know, standing up against racism, fighting for feminism, equality, you know, all of those, you know, who is it that said it takes a hundred years to make any great thing happen. And I think that we're still in the middle of that movement. And um, I hope that in the next, you know, 50 to a hundred years, we see more women seeking, seeking those type of opportunities that are going to make their birth safe and um, sacred and beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks to women like you that it's happening. I mean, I just briefly want to end on the fact B's daughter, Skylar, she was a young mum as well, but she was incredible, wasn't she, giving birth to her little one, Sophia. And a lot of it's down to your work, I would imagine, and, you know, giving her that courage and that wisdom. It was pretty phenomenal. She was only 18 years old and, um, you know, throughout her whole pregnancy, I kept saying, Sky, do you, let's do a prenatal. Do you want to do a prenatal? Do you want to do a birth education class? Do you want to read this book? And she's like, no, no, mom. I, no, I know what's happening. It's, it's fine. And she went into labor just nice and sweet and natural. She had a 10-hour birth. She pushed her baby out in, you know, less than 15 minutes of pushing. She wow. didn't have any tears. She breastfed beautifully for two years, you know, and it really came down to the girl had no fear. There was not one mm-hmm. doubt that her body could do it. There was not one doubt that she was made to give birth. There was no, there was no fear. And, and I really think that that, 
you know, if we could just plant that seed uh-huh. in every pregnant person, just to trust your body, trust that you and your baby know what's right and what's, um, that it's just going to happen. Birth works. Yeah. Birth works. By example, like you did for all those years and she saw it. And like you said, it's a case of education. If more and more women saw those stories and situations, then you'd create more and more positive experiences. So it's the culture, you know, so, so many women that I sit with now, I, I, I always ask, have you seen a birth? You know, have you seen a live birth before? Have you held a newborn? And I'd say 80 to 90% of them have never seen a live birth, have never held a newborn baby. And yeah. I mean, yes, it's changed so much, right? The hundred year thing in 1900, most babies were born at home with their midwives, grandmothers, sisters, mamas, and you know, and they were surrounded by it. They saw it happen. They watched their, you know, their community women give birth. They knew yeah. that it worked. Um, and now we've really, really become so far removed. And we have, you know, YouTube and uh, Facebook yeah. and Instagram. Yeah. Technology to, to watch it. But if you, you know, if you do a, a simple search, the majority of what you're going to find is fear-based kind of what to expect when you're expecting type information and it's it's yeah. not trust and surrender based it's not you know no. wisdom from our culture so hopefully that will shift definitely well that's why blissful birthing exists because i really want it to shift and to get ladies like yourself out there spreading the message so thank you so much for spreading the message with me today that was incredible thanks for having and if me. anyone wants to find out more about B or reach out to her, then is the best place to find you NapaValleyMidwives.com or is there somewhere yeah, else? That's a good spot for right now. I have some new projects. I said I've got birthaccesscoalition.org is being born mm-hmm. um, or gestating right now. We'll be born soon. And um, <laughs> so that's a good spot. Napa Valley Midwives is a good spot. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Because you'll be doing more and more stuff online as well, won't you? Not j- like education-wise and yeah, exactly. That's what I'm yeah. hoping. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Lee. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, my message to all birthing women is just trust your body, trust mm. that you and your baby know what to do. You got pregnant. You grew perfect human your body is made to birth that perfect human absolutely why would it be able to conceive and not give birth it doesn't make sense does it so yeah thank you for all the work that you do absolutely and educating us today that was amazing thanks Chrissy thank you so much Bee.